Thank you. One of the uh, individuals that's with us tonight, Dr. Joe Davis and his wonderful wife, Dana. Sometimes I think Dana runs Southeastern University. She's engaged in so many areas. You see her name, well, that's Dana, that's Dana, and she does a great job. Uh, Dr. Joe Davis, of course, is professor of religion at Southeastern. He's been there for a hundred years uh, teaching and the students really love him. But another great ministry uh, that he's engaged in, Anchor House. Many of us remember Anchor House. Many of you give to Anchor House, but he is the uh, CEO and director of Anchor House as it relates to the covering that they have. So he's constantly talking about that ministry and just does a wonderful job. And talking with him before coming out tonight, I'm anxious for us to hear his message because I believe it came right from the throne of God. Would you welcome Dr. Joe Davis and his wife, Dana? God bless you, Joe. Pastor Wayne, thanks so much. And I want to thank the entire Victory family for supporting Anchor House. We could not do it without you. And every single month, we get a check from Victory Assembly of God. So would you go ahead and give Victory Assembly of God a round of applause because you are making it happen. James 1.27 says, true religion is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans, and I want to thank you for doing just that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians 1, verse 19, and we're going to look at 19 through 22. Philippians 1, 19 through 22. Before we do, I, I want to just say uh, it is such a joy to be able to be used of the Lord and I feel like I use different parts of my personality and brain. Over at Anchor House, I get to be a kid. And my wife says I have the mind of a child, so it works out very well. I also get to teach in Southeastern, and some of the people that you saw screaming, running out, those are my students. Midterms are around the corner. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have here today a scripture which is incredible, and I want you to hear it. Psalm, excuse me, Psalm, Philippians 9, excuse me, 119. I don't know what I'm saying here hardly. Philippians 119. And here's what it says For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. By the way, Paul's talking about his imprisonment here. He's writing and he's a prisoner. I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two, and I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, well, better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you so much for your word. Speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. She looked at me, and with very, very hot words, she said this, prove to me that there is a God. Now, I've heard this many times because I enjoy going around 
the country and actually talking to people and asking them to ask whatever their questions are, ask the hardest question you have. And my PhD is in apologetics. Some of you may have heard of Ravi Zachariah. You may have heard of other people, Tim Keller. And my PhD focuses on this area, the hardest questions. And so when she asked me, prove to me that there's a God, it was almost as if she asked me, how might I be able to tell you about Jesus Christ? So I looked at her and I said, I'd be happy to. I'm going to tell you three reasons why you should believe in God. Number one, I can live better. Number two, I can die better. And number three, there is scientific and credible hope. Did you hear the word scientific? That there's life everlasting. And she looked at me and she said, well, you've got me. Tell me all about it. And I said, I'd be more than happy to. And I'm going to expand it upon it a little because we're going to look at scientific studies of faith. And so our very first slide that we're going to look at has to do with a biochemist. And he says this, a little bit of science will make you an atheist, but a lot of science will make you a theologian. You see, he ought to know because he was an atheist, and as a result of his inquiries into science and biochemistry, this gentleman who's a PhD at Oxford became a believer in Jesus Christ. And Alistair McGrath is now also an apologist for the kingdom, telling people that they need to believe because it is the most rational thing that you can do. I also want to tell you that we can live better. Next slide. And when I say better, what I mean by better is Dr. Michael Gazanga, the world's leading authority on neuroscience, says this, that your brain seems wired for belief. What does that mean? It means that everything that we know about your bodies and your brain, it seems to work better, and we've studied believers, and we're continuing to study after study after study on believers, and it just seems like you all get to do a little bit more and you live better, and you live longer. Now, Dr. Gazanga is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and this is what makes it so interesting. Even though he's not a believer, he believes your brains work better if you believe, because people who believe in God seem to do better in every single category. Let's go to our next slide. Researchers at Life at Yale University found that deriving strength from religion was the strongest survival predictor of longevity. In other words, studies continue to show that people who believe in God seem to just live longer. Well, I would be all right. One of the ways that I can live better, I can live longer. Let's go to our next slide. Pastor, could we have another service, please? Another study showed that people over age 55, if you're over age 55, this is for you, that attending religious services more than once a week It lives, how shall we say, adds seven years to your life. Notice if you're an African-American, you get 14. Now, by the way, you might say, well, I want to change skin color. Well, it really is vis-a-vis your own culture and your own ethnicity. But regardless of your skin color, Duke University's Dr. Harold Koenig, and I remember a lecture that he was in, he said simply this, believing in God seems to grant longevity. People who believe in God just on average live seven years longer. Now, you may say to me, look, I know people who've died at five years old. I understand. I'm talking on average. On average, people who believe in God, according to Duke University, live longer. Our next slide. Well, here's one that's interesting. 
Those who attend church and believe in an all-powerful God, according again to Koenig, and there was other studies that have been done, have 50% less depression. Well, why? It makes perfect sense to me. Bertrand Russell wrote a book, a philosopher. He said, I don't believe in God, and I'm going to write a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. But what you didn't hear Bertrand Russell say in another book was this. Every morning I have to get up and tell myself lies of meaning because I know there isn't any. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think works better for you, to believe in something better than yourself, bigger than yourself, so that there's an all-loving God that cares about you, or believing that there's absolutely nothing at all? Have a happy day. (laughs) Next slide. The probability of being in hospital at least once in the previous year was 56% lower for those who attended church at least once a week. Aren't you glad you're here today? Let's go to our next slide. Maybe doctors should write, go to church weekly on their prescription pad. Evidence is growing that religion can be good. So take one gospel pill and call me in the morning. <laughs> next slide. Astrophysicist Robert Jastrow says this is a book God and the Astronomers for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason. The story ends like a bad dream. He's scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. Why did he say this? I'm going to tell you why. One of my hobbies is reading astrophysics. And more and more and more people are saying, well, by golly, it is hard to explain how something came from nothing. The Russian physicist Vilenkin says this, at Stephen Hawking's birthday, he said, what we now know about our world is that all of the theories up to this point that have tried to prove something before that moment called singularity, when time, space, and matter all began at once, have fallen. And right now, all that we are looking at is that we cannot explain how all of a sudden time matter, and space appeared. Next slide. Oh, we don't have another one. I guess my sermon will be shorter. (laughs) Well, here's what I want to tell you. I can live better. And the reason I can live better is because I have an ardent hope that there's actually something out there, that there's a God, that there's more, that there's a reason to live. I absolutely believe that there's a God because he changed me. And I know that I can live better. And one of the reasons that I work at the boys' home is because prior to coming to know Christ, I was like one of them. As a matter of fact, I haven't met any boys that I think were as angry as I was before I met Christ. But not only can I live better, I can die better. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by it is all of you are going to die. And even though we don't like to talk about it, the simple truth of the matter is, as you face death, one of the things that's going to occur is you're going to look at your life and wonder what it was all about. And so one of the great things is to be able to face death itself, our greatest enemy, and know that you have lived life to the fullest, that you've seized the day. You remember 
Remember the movie, The Titanic? Do you remember that, in fact, there was a band playing on that as the boat went down? Right before the boat began to sink, the band leader, Wallace Hartley, was told that, in fact, there was not enough lifeboats in order to be able to save everybody. So Wallace Hartley, the conductor, who was a believer in Christ, began to play hymns as the boat began to sink into the frigid water. One of the captains or one of the petty officers came to him and said, you should save yourself because there aren't enough lifeboats for everybody to get in. And Wallace Hartley looked at him and he said these words, we know how to die better than you. You all go ahead and get into the lifeboats. And it wasn't just words in Wallace Hartley's case because, in fact, they played until the boat went down, knowing that they were ushering people into eternity, but knowing that he had already made that decision long ago to be in the loving arms of Jesus forever. Jim Elliott says this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he should know because he died a martyr in Ecuador. And one of the things that constantly amazes me is that people want to live their life as if there is no death, pretending such a thing can't and doesn't occur. I'm going to tell you one of the saddest times in my ministry. I was a pastor for 19 years. It was when I received word that a little baby in the church had just gotten its head bashed in. And I remember receiving the news that the young baby was being rushed by medevac to Hershey Medical Center, which is a children's hospital. And I remember as I was going up there thinking, oh my goodness, what will happen? And the couple that had just come back to church, whose baby it was, and it was a single mom, but it was a family that was supporting her, they had just made a commitment to Christ. They had just come to Christ. And I thought, there's no hope. They'll surely leave their faith after such a terrible thing. And what had happened in this instant? Well, this comes under the category of be careful who you date. The young man that she was dating, she left her baby with to go to work. And the baby wouldn't stop crying. At first he told the, the paramedics that the baby had fallen down the steps. But when the paramedics looked, they saw that that was not the case. The baby looked to have been beaten unconscious. Finally, after the police came, he admitted it that he couldn't get the child to stop crying and he just kept hitting it until it stopped. And of course it did because it had gone into a coma. And I remember being in the hospital and the doctor came in and he brought the, the horrible news that no parent ever wants to hear. Your baby will not make it. Your baby will not last another 24 hours. And at that moment, I saw something incredible occur. The family grabbed each other's hands. And as they held each other's hands, amazing grace, how sweet the sound began to sing that 
saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And with that, the mother said, I give Colin to you, Lord. I couldn't believe the faith of these people. I walked out with the chaplain of the Hershey Medical Center and I said, what do people do who don't have faith at moments like this? And he said, do you want to know the truth? I felt like I was talking to Jack Nicholson. And I said, yes. He said, well, generally they get angry at God. I said, you mean people who don't believe in God get angry at God? And he goes, exactly. He said, I'm not saying it makes any sense, but they curse God and they get angry at God. And, he, and then they turn on each other. And he says, I try like a little Dutch boy to put my finger in the dike of all the anger that is coming forth that is unleashed upon each other. He said, it's not pretty. What you are seeing, Dr. Davis, is the power of faith. That's right. And studies show that, in fact, the people who deal with tragedy the best are actually those who believe in God. And a recent study showed that, in fact, the people who believe in God in times of trial, actually the majority of them actually become stronger in their faith. It doesn't seem reasonable. But what happens is at that moment, they reach down to the very core of who they are and what they believe, and they find Christ. Isn't that what our faith is about? That in our moment of need, we grab hold of Christ no matter what our need is, and we find him. Someone asked me, what is, if you had to pick a moment in your life, what is the moment that was most pivotal for you, Dr. Davis? I would say when my whole family turned against me because I came to Christ. And they said, well, how could that help you? Because I only had Christ, and in dealing with that, in grabbing hold of Christ, and knowing that he was the only one that I had, I found him. I found that he works. And I've never been the same since. And I want to live my whole life as one great thank you to God, one great act of saying thank you. And so when people say to me, you know, isn't it wonderful that you get to teach theology, my thought is thanks be to God, because if it wasn't for him, I couldn't do any of this. And so not only do I have the opportunity to live better, to have a more meaningful life, to live longer as the studies show, and frankly, you might even know this, that your immune systems actually become better according to Duke University. You just get sick less, and if you have problems, you return to the hospital less than anybody. But it is at that moment when you face your maker that you find out what you're made of. I had an experience like that. The church had decided that we would set up medical clinics in the bush of Nigeria. And right before I went, I read that this was not a good time to go because people that looked awful white were getting kidnapped. 
and held for ransom. I knew my church board and I knew they wouldn't get anything. So I was more than happy to go. And I remember having a conversation with my oldest daughter. She said to me, Daddy, please don't go. She said it might be dangerous. I said, honey, this is why we live. We live to tell others about Christ. And so we set up medical clinics and we took doctors from our church and and six villages, over 6,000 people came who'd never seen a doctor before. And at nighttime we preached the gospel. And we did that for weeks on end until we ran out of medicine. One night, as we were making our way home, because the preacher went particularly long, I won't tell you his name, I'll just say he's a doctor of theology who runs a boy's home and has blackish hair. I felt the car slow down because I was asleep. And when I looked up, there was a man with a rifle standing in the middle of the road. We were deep in the bush. There was no one around. It was 2 a.m. in the morning. And as the Jeep came to a stop, it was an embankment, and men stood up on both sides of the embankment. And then as I looked out the back, there was another man walking up with a machete behind the Jeep. Dr. Bob, who was the chief of medical operations for this, looked at me and he said, what do you think our best case scenario is? And I said, Bob, our best case is we get robbed. He said, I won't ask the worst case. I said, correct. And at that moment, I began to think of my beautiful wife and how I was going to miss her and my children how I was going to miss them. But then it hit me. I die for Christ. We're all going to have to go sometime. If you're going to have to go, why not die for Jesus? And in that moment, the most amazing thing happened. I had peace. I was ready to to meet my maker. Now, as you can see, I didn't die. And you ask me, well, what happened? Well, the men began to argue with one another, and I thought, you know, it's generally not a good idea to argue with people who have rifles. But our host said, we are children of this village, and he was, actually. You must let us go, or a curse will come upon you. And an elder gentleman of the robbers heard this, and he went like this. And we did not lose any time. We put the pedal to the meadow, and we hightailed it out of there. But you know what I learned? Not only can I live better, I can die better because I've been there. And I'm glad to say, at the most pivotal moment of your life, you can have peace and power because you know that God has ordered your steps and you're right here in the palm of his hand.
I can live better. I can die better. And there's a reasonable and scientific hope that I will live again. And not just me, but every person who believes in Christ. And this is what Paul is saying in the Scripture. I'm not really sure what to do. If I stay here, I can live for Christ and do his work. But the truth of the matter is, if you're asking me, I'd rather die and be with him. Because absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A few years ago as a pastor, I I got invited over to one of our members' home. And I'm going to have to tell you something. As a professor, no one invites me over their house. I guess it has to do with me failing so many people. I don't know. They just hold a grudge. And as a pastor, I used to get invited over to people's houses all the time. And, and so this lady, Anne, invited me over, and she was a great cook. And I'm going to have the music ministry come on up at this time. She was a fantastic cook. And so she made the best meal that she'd ever made for me, and she'd made a lot of them. She was 85 years old, and she could, she could outcook anybody in the church. Now, as I was eating and enjoying, she said, Pastor, I've asked you over for a reason. And I said, you mean it just wasn't to cook for me? And she said, well, no. I have something I want to ask of you. I said, what is it, Anne? She said, I have a will, and in my will it says D-N-R, do not resuscitate. And she goes, I want you to make sure that those rotten kids of mine don't bring me back. (laughs) Well, I was a little taken off guard, and I said, so, Anne, are you depressed? She got angry with me. No, I'm not depressed. Then she reached over and she patted me on my hand. And she looked at me and she said, I know something that you don't know. I said, well, there's a wide area there. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific. What do you mean? And she said, you see, when I was 34 years old, I had a gallbladder operation. And I died on the table. I saw my spirit come out of my body. And it went in a second to this white light. And when I got to the end where the white light was, who do you think was there? It was Jesus. And so I looked at him and I said, Jesus, it's you. And he said, hello, Anne. And then he said to me these words. Anne, are you ready? But she said, I said to him, no, Lord, I have two small children and my husband has run away and I'm the only one to take care of them. And she said, I saw him look at me. And look into my eyes and say, are you sure? And she said, I said, yes, Lord. And at the moment that I said, yes, Lord, my spirit rushed into my body and I felt them doing compressions on my heart. 
and my heart started beating again, and I woke up. You don't know what I know, Pastor. There is nothing like it in the world. And I don't want to be here one day more than I have to be. So will you please make sure that this time when I go, no one brings me back. I said, so what you want me to do is make sure you're good and dead. And she said, exactly. I said, I promise you, Ann, we'll make sure you're dead. Well, I moved down to Florida, and lo and behold, she did too. She moved over to West Palm to be with her daughter. And I got a phone call from her daughter, and she said, I want you to call mom because uh, they found something, and I'll let her tell you about it. And I said, okay. So I called her, and I said, Ann, uh, I understand you're having some medical difficulties. And she said, oh, I wouldn't say that. And I said, well, what, what's going on? She says, oh, I have this little thing called an aneurysm on my aorta. An aneurysm on your aorta. Yes, the doctors tell me that when it explodes, I'll die. And then she said, isn't it wonderful? And I said, well, most people don't think of it that way. She goes, no, but it is. I'll be dead before I hit the floor. I said, I suppose you will. She said, Pastor, I want you to preach my funeral. But there's one thing I want you to tell those people. I have not died. I've just begun to live. And it will never stop because I will be in the presence of Jesus forever. And real life will have just begun. Anne is home with the Lord right now. And I know she's looking down, saying you could do a better job if you try harder. Prove to me that there's a God. I'd be happy to. I can live better because I have a reason to live. I can die better because I know where I'm going. And there are now study after study of people who have died. By neurologist even, Eben Alexander, who claimed that heaven is real. But ladies and gentlemen, what matters most is not that I convince you in your brain, but you believe in your heart. The young girl who said to me, prove that there's a God, she was angry. And she had good reason to be. 
And I just looked into her eyes and I said, let me ask you one question. Deep in your heart, do you believe in God even though you can't understand everything? Tears began to flow down her face. And she said, yes. I don't know what your needs are. But I'm going to guarantee you three things. I can live better. I can die better. And I know that my faith is not an illusion, but it's real. Now, would you stand, please? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just one second. If you've never given your heart to Christ, now is your time. If you say, I want to give my heart to Jesus right now, would you raise your hand? Thank you. For those of you who are struggling and you're, you're struggling with, I'm not really sure that life is better. Right where you are, I want you to open yourself up to Jesus. Now I'm going to ask the ushers and those who are praying if you'll come down because no matter who you are, Jesus wants to meet you here. Will you come? and meet Jesus. You're a good, good father To you are To you are To you are And I'm the To I am To I am To I am
the gentle presence of God is here in our midst. But saints, imagine this. It's just the tiniest drop of the presence that you will be in forever and ever and ever. And all who believe that said, Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, may the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. And may he envelop you in his love. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you all. Go in the joy of Jesus.